Amen. It's good to see you this morning. Good to be together. Thank you, Marilyn, for reading for us. Uh, before I begin preaching, I, I just want to take a minute of personal privilege to introduce a friend of mine. Uh, this guy in the second row, his name is Jeremy Franks. He's pastor in Belton, Texas. Known him since I was in the seventh grade. Uh, he's on sabbatical for four weeks. So and when I say that, it means no one can talk to him after the service. Uh, ask him no questions. He's going to leave it immediately. He knows nothing. Um, but brother, what a joy to have you. I'm so grateful to see you today, and it means a lot. You guys make sure to say hi uh, to Jeremy. Uh, through, a, through a friend lying, he surprised me that he would be here today. So that's, he's that kind of friend. I want to begin this morning talking uh, about uh, a Christian, uh, just an average Christian, whom I've given the name uh, Ross. Uh, we are walking through, this is the second of a short three-week series on growing, on Christian growth, on spiritual growth. We looked last week at the oughtness of growth, that there is an ought in the gospel that we ought to be growing. Uh, God intends for us to grow. He is uh, actively helping us grow spiritually. This week, we're going to look at uh, how God gives the growth. Next week, we'll be talking about our part in growth, what God asks us to do in order to grow. But I want to introduce uh, the, a, a fictional character, just so you know, named Ross, who I think represents much of what every Christian will experience in one way or another. After a local church member shares the gospel with Ross, Ross realized that he is a sinner, that he's in need of forgiveness from God. He believes upon the Lord Jesus Christ as crucified for his sin. He, in turn, prays, trusts him, believes that he is risen from the grave. He then joins a local church as a new believer in Jesus Christ. Ross just began joining his church for Bible study on Sunday mornings and made it a point to gather for preaching and worship each week. From the beginning, Ross is excited. He's eager. He's in Bible studies. The man who led him to Christ met with him regularly in the morning for breakfast to study the Bible and to pray together. Ross was like a newborn baby, breathing the air in a new world. He didn't know much about the Bible or about God, but early on, Ross spends many nights talking past midnight about God, sovereignty, grace, and the wonder of the cross. His affection for God and for the Word of God is growing with seemingly little effort. And then over time, having learned uh, a lot of doctrine and teaching, Ross begins to feel a little bored with learning. So many studies, so much Bible study, so many books to read. Every time I go to a church member's meeting, Ross is given another book to read from the pastor. He becomes distant from the church. Even when he's present, he feels slightly disenfranchised about the whole thing. And then a tragedy strikes in Ross's life. He suddenly loses someone whom he held most dear. All the questions about God and why God would do this or allow this to haunt him come to mind. About this time, he receives a visit from someone in the church. They encourage him. They sit with him. They share scripture with him. Ross all of a sudden is more encouraged and his faith even feels stronger than ever before. But then come problems with church members. There are disagreements about theological issues. Feelings get hurt. Meetings get canceled. There's disappointment with the perceived underperformance of other Christians, and disappointment sets in. Ross calls his pastor, talks through what this all means. Ross leaves his talk with the pastor, somewhat encouraged, renewed in vision, more committed to his local church than before, and even renews some broken relationships. Through the years of involvement in his small group, Ross actually comes to be seen as someone who's able to help other people. He knows the Word of God. He's patient. He listens well. He's able to respond to some questions about suffering, about sin, about life, and he does so with the Word of God. And some people start to wonder if Ross shouldn't lead someone else in discipleship himself. Maybe start by meeting another man one-on-one -on -one for breakfast each week, helping him, that person, follow Jesus. And this is exactly what do Ross does. He finds another man in the church. He starts getting together with him for discipleship. 
Now, how did Ross get from, I'm Ross, I don't know Jesus, I don't know God, to I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and then I came to actually be able to help someone else with the Word of God. I actually came to where I was mature enough to turn around and tell other people about Jesus and disciple others in the Word. The answer is that Ross matured. He, he grew as a Christian. And how did that happen? How, how does someone grow in maturity like this? You might say, well, it's those church members who discipled him. It's the preacher. It was the friend who came to visit him in his tragedy, or even the tragedy itself. These were all means of his maturity. He matured because someone else invested all those things in him. He matured because he himself, he, he put himself in a place of growth. But you don't kind of really notice this until he's grown, how did this happen? Maybe you had or you have a spot in your garage like in our house, a place where we measure how tall our children are every now and then. I think you're maybe supposed to do it like every year on a birthday. We just do it every few months. And there's always growth. And you, you know that there's been growth the past few months. We know that they're getting tall. It's harder for me to wrestle my son than it used to be. But when you measure, you actually see two inches and eight months. This, that's crazy. How is that possible? Did that actually happen? And I was watching it happen, and yet I, I never even saw it happen. So it was Ross's growth. It just kind of comes along one day. It seems like he is more mature than he was the day before. How does it happen? What makes a Christian grow? What is it that takes a little baby Christian and makes them grow into the mature manhood into the fullness of the stature of Christ, as Paul calls it in Ephesians 4. And the answer that we're going to see today in 1 Corinthians 3 is that God gives the growth. God gives the growth. That's how it happens. What is happening all along, the, the one thing that connects all the series of events and investments and lessons and reading and preaching and gathering for singing in a Christian's life, it's that God makes them grow. And this is going to have some serious implication on a Christian's life, what we do, how we live we are encouraged, we can be emboldened, we can be challenged by knowing that it is God who gives the growth. Let's pray, and we'll see this in 1 Corinthians 3. Father, would you be with us today? Would you be uh, gracious to us that in your kindness we might not just hear these words with our ears, but with our hearts, with our minds and that we would leave here today a little different than we walked in, convicted, redirected, repentant, acknowledging you and your greatness and your goodness and your kindness. Father, help us to repent of the things we need to repent of, all the things we need to turn from. Help us see it and by your Spirit turn from those things in our lives. And in all the things that we need to continue in, that we need to walk in faithfulness and endure Help us, Father. Help us grow in these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Jonah, would you bring me that bottle of water? Please, you can just bring it all the way up. That'd be fine. Yep. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to read verses 5 through 9 again and see who Paul gives credit. Thank you, bud. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5 through 9. There's a dispute in the church about those who are uh, most helpful, most useful, most mature, those who we should be listening to, celebrity pastor status. And Paul's responding to that with an answer about how, no, this is how Christians actually grow. 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 9, what then is Apollos, what is Paul, servants through whom you have believed as the Lord assigned to each? Paul says, I planted Apollos watered, but here's the answer. Here's how it happens. But God gave the growth. 
So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. There's so much here, but we see first here that Paul says he planted. That's how you should think about him. He he planted a seed. He planted the the gospel when he visited Apollos. Apollos came along and he watered. He he taught more of what Paul taught. He he reiterated the gospel. He answered questions. He, He taught the church what it means to live out actually following Jesus. So, so we begin to see here that Paul doesn't have this idea that God just kind of zaps Christians into maturity without using means of the church or in the church. God actually works through earthly, through human means and effort and purposes and usefulness to bring about growth in the church. So I want us to see for a few minutes before we just think about God being the one who grows Christians, think about how God does this. Look with me in your Bibles in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 13. Ephesians chapter 4. I got three quick ways about how God grows. Having established the fact that it's God who grows, it's not Apollos, it's not not Paul, but God gives the growth. How does he do that? We see that is through discipleship. We've seen that's already through Paul, we've seen that's through Apollos, but it's God who gives the growth. See it more explicitly in the book of Ephesians, where Paul is there writing to the church in Ephesus, explaining to them that he's given these leaders in the church for the purpose of helping grow and mature the church. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 13. And he, Christ in this passage, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Why? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Friends, I don't know what you expect of your church leadership or even your small group leaders, but we have not been given to you. No Sunday school teacher, no children's kids block in the back, with no matter how young the kids are, are not there simply to coordinate fun time or make a schedule for eating out or just coordinate uh, mom days at the park. All those things are good. Fellowship can happen in all of those things, and they should But these have been given to the church so that the church can equip these leaders, equip the church to fulfill the ministry of maturing Christians. That this is how God does it. He gave these to the church so that the church would grow in maturity into the fullness of the stature of Christ. That's why this group has been given. Look down in chapter 4, verse 15 in Ephesians. Rather than speaking the truth in love, rather than being tossed to and fro like children, he says, rather than that, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up every way into him who is the head into Christ. He goes on to talk about us building one another up in love. So this is a mutual building up that the church does. God sees Christians growing through the means of other Christians helping other Christians grow. That doesn't mean that God's not the one doing it, but God does it through that means of discipleship. Secondly, look with me, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. God grows Christians through his reproving and his training word. God grows Christians through his reproving and his training word. 2 Timothy 3.16, this will be familiar for some of you. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for training, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be adequately equipped for every good work. Now, we like the idea, I think, of being equipped for every good work, but one of the ways God uses his word to mature us is by correcting us by reproving us. And and training means getting you from the shape you used to be in to a more mature, better equipped shape. This is God's means of growth. 
reproving correction through his word. A downright refusal to come into the ministry of the word is a rejection of reproof, a rejection of training, a rejection of being corrected. And we should not be surprised that when we reject God's word, we we tend not to grow. Because that's what God's word is there to do, to train, to correct, and to bring us into maturity. A third way that God grows, as we saw this morning in Psalm 119, is through affliction. Through affliction. Affliction answers to prayer, seeing God's word come true in the midst of that and remain true, though we might sin against God or hardship come upon us. God's word is proved true. Our faith is increased. Psalm chapter 119, verse 67, the psalmist says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. In other words, the affliction taught me not to flee from your word. If I stay in your word, I would have avoided that in life. Verse 71, it's good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. When suffering, persecution, hardship came upon me, it actually taught me that your word is true. And isn't that the song that we, that we just sang? And God says in the song that John Newton wrote, these inward trials I employ from self and pride to set you free. And I come to break the schemes of earthly joy that you may find your all in me. Friends, I would just encourage you to accept and rest today that God cares for your spiritual growth through earthly discomfort. He cares and he brings about spiritual maturity through earthly, worldly discomfort. That God uses affliction like a tool. It's an instrument in his hands to redirect us, reshape us, to prune us. Just consider, do you have some affliction in your life? Maybe a short one. It's only come up today. Maybe it's been a lifelong struggle. Maybe it's been seasons. Maybe it's been just one affliction after the other for some time. Friends, consider how God might intend this for good. What a joy to know that God has not left us alone. So often in our struggling and our fiction, we, we tend to think that God has abandoned us. When actually it is for the believer a sign that God is sticking with us. That he's doing something for us, as strange as that might sound. To the Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7, the Hebrews were suffering persecution and tempted to flee from Christ and go back to Judaism or kind of add Judaism to Christianity. And in their suffering, in their affliction, the author of Hebrews tells them this about their affliction. He said, it is for discipline that you have to endure God's treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. Enduring hardship, persecution, and loss, praise God, as a Christian, he's not abandoned you, but he loves you like a son or daughter, and he is shaping, he is forming. That is his idea to use to bring you to a place of maturity. There are others to consider and others which we'll even consider this morning, but what's the unifying factor? It's that God is the one who's giving the growth. God's behind the affliction. God's behind the discipleship. This is God's word which is shaping. And Paul goes on to say that it is really only God who does this. Even though God has earthly means that he used in terms of men, He uses his spirit, he uses his word, and it is only God who really is the one giving the growth. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, our passage for this morning, and see that Paul wants to make sure that we think in terms of the exclusivity 
of God being the one who gives the growth. Read chapter 3, verse 5 and to 7 again. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he knew plants or he knew who waters is anything. But listen to what Paul says next, the second half of that sentence. But only God, only God who gives the growth. I mean, Paul went so far as to say it's not even a, a 50-50. You know, God does his part and man kind of do their part. No, no, no. What does he say? God gave the growth only God. A celebrity pastor of 15,000 people or one guy discipling a student on Saturday mornings. Anything good comes through the means of men's ministry to others for growth. It's all only God. It's through ministry, but it's from God. Does that mean that preachers and disciples mean nothing to God? No, of course not. It's simply to say that they are not the source of growth. See how Paul continues, 1 Corinthians 3. Look at verses 8 and 9. He who plants and he who waters, they're, they're one. You're talking about Paul or Apollos, it doesn't matter, they're the same. And each is going to receive his wages according to his labor, for we're God's fellow workers. We're just fellow workers together. We're, we're God's servants out in the field. We're, we're not making things grow. We're, we're just kind of hired hands for you guys. And look, he says in verse 9, continuing, he says to them, you are God's building. The emphasis here is on God's, not field, not building. The emphasis is on the possession. You're God's field. You're God's building. It's not Paul's field. This is not John Piper's field. This is not Nathan's Millwood Baptist Church. No, this is God's field. The church is God's building. And God is the one who gives the growth. God does it. We're all simply hired hands serving his ministry. And although God uses clearly visible means, discipleship, the ministry of the word in our affliction, in our circumstances, the growth continues imperceptibly from God. I say imperceptible just because it's often something that's happening and you can't see it. You don't feel like you're growing in affliction. You might not leave life group and feel like you grew that Thursday night or that Tuesday night. You might, you might not leave building block on Sunday morning in Job and go, I just grew. I feel, I, you know, I, I feel taller having done that building block this morning. You might not always feel that. But that's what God's doing. God is giving the growth through the means that he has established. So I want us to think through some things this morning. If God is the one who gives the growth, how do we respond? How do we think? How does this help us in thinking about our own spiritual growth if God is the one who gives the growth? A few things. First, pray for God to bring growth. If God is the one who gives the growth, then we can pray to God and ask that he would give us growth, that he would grow us. Are you struggling to grow as a Christian? You don't just need one more study from Lifeway. You don't just need one more book from your favorite author. You don't just need one more sermon from that, that pastor. It's okay if it's not me. Who just really encourages you. And that you get and, and you love. And he says it so well and so, and so clear. Are you struggling to grow? Is there someone you know who is struggling to grow? Someone that you're in life group with. Someone that you're in discipleship with. Someone in your family struggling to grow. They might 
could use some counseling. They might could use a conversation with a pastor. They, they might could use a drink from Starbucks and a card to let them know that you love them. But what we need is for God to personally give growth. For God to give growth. And I want us to see in Scripture that we can pray and ask for God to give growth to ourselves and to others in Christ. And that God loves to give growth. And John Newton has helped us see it might not come in the way that you had hoped that growth would come. But look with me in the Bible, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. 1 Thessalonians, Paul's writing mostly to deal with some issues regarding the second coming, some doctrinal rumors that were upsetting church members and the fellowship there. Along the way, Paul doesn't just teach doctrine. Paul prays for the church in Thessalonica to grow. And he tells them, I'm praying for you to grow. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, look at verses 11 through 13. Paul, to the church in Thessalonica, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase. I'm praying that God would make you increase in something. The Lord would make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Paul is keen. He is a wise pastor to the church in Thessalonica, as it were. They don't just need answers about the second coming and when that's going to happen and how that's going to roll out. He's praying that God would increase and make them abound in love for one another that God would do the making of the increase in them. Go with me in your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. I don't remember the time between 1 and 2 Thessalonians. I only thought now that might be interesting. 2 Thessalonians, sometime later, Paul writes again to the same church. And here at the very front of the letter, listen to what Paul has to say. We ought always give thanks to God for you. Who is he thanking? He's thanking God for doing something. Thanking God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly. He credits God for their faith growing abundantly. And what? And the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. It's happening. I, I prayed in First Thessalonians that God would make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, like we love you. And then Paul says in Second Thessalonians, and we got to give God thanks that the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Who gives the growth? Paul does not write back and say, "Aren't you glad I wrote First Thessalonians? You're welcome." He writes back and he says, thank God the love for brothers and sisters is increasing in the church. God gives the growth. And here Paul gives us an example to pray for growth. To ask God to by his power, by his spirit, by his word, by his providence, grow us and anyone that we might pray for. When you get together in your life group, when you get together in your one-on-one -on -one discipleship, when you get together with other Christians and you're praying together, pray for maturity. 
Do not pray only that God is going to work all of your circumstances out, but pray that your circumstances would bring about maturity, that God might work out maturity from your circumstances. It's, I've been in a life group. i got a life group, and I've been in all kinds of life groups, and it's so easy to pray for stuff and events and things and circumstances. And, and praise God, God cares about those things. But so does God care about us growing in love, growing in maturity, and Him using all things for that purpose. Maybe you would take the member role and just do something you've never done. Just take the member role in our church and just pray every day for one member that God would increase them in maturity. Just every day, just take, go alphabetically through the list. God, I, I pray today, starting with the last name A. Used to be Cindy Aram. She used to be the first. Now she has moved to Midland. I, I, just, I pray for Cindy. He would give her maturity. She would increase her faith. And the Lord intends and desires to do so. The second thing, we can walk in God's means of growth. Walking God's means of growth, keep getting watered. We've seen briefly that God has means for his growth, and we can't go out and find affliction for us that God has and tends for us, but we can find the normal means of growth that God has for us, God's means of using other Christians to grow us. So we ought to find a, a Paul. We ought to find Apollos or, or even Cephas and, and keep getting into where God waters for growth. A picture of this I've had in my, my mind the last week or so reading this passage is at our house last year, we tore out all of the bushes that were planted when, when we moved into the house and we put in our, our own bushes uh, shrubs, you could say, pink skull caps. That's what we have now in our front. I don't know if anyone knows what that sounds morbid to me, skull caps, but they're actually pretty. One of the things I've enjoyed watching happen is just watching my wife every other night or so go out to water those flowers and just take the water hose and just put the water and just set the water hose right above the roots and just leave it running for a while. Soak the ground with water. And the shrubs are slow growers, and they've encountered some affliction, like basketballs, but they're growing. And that's a picture of our discipleship. You just keep getting watered, and you keep growing. Friends, let me just tell you, to be encouraged to get in God's means of growth where we trust God will grow us. It's just prideful and foolish and rebellious if, if we simply just wish and ask that God would just grow us some other way or, or ignore God's means of growth. Friends, if, if you're not in discipleship, if you're, if you're not regularly sitting under the, the preaching of the word and gathering for, for, for discipleship to be sharpened, friends, don't be surprised when your faith and your spirit dry up. If you're not in discipleship with other Christians, expect to, to feel like you've not been watered. Friends, this is why, this is why. Because God gives growth through the means of men and women, through discipleship. It's why we go toward life groups. It's why we go toward building blocks. It's why we go towards serving ministry and children's ministry, teaching our children the gospel and the word of God. It's why we would take another rotation, why we would get into children's rotation to serve in the kids' block, because we believe that God's going to give growth. I don't have a lot to offer, but I truly believe God's going to give growth. To, to, to say in our minds, like, I'm too tired, I'm, I'm too irritable, I'm, I'm too sad, I'm too whatever to gather with the church or to gather with my life group or to visit that member, it's ludicrous. It's absurd. It's illogical. It's like saying that that plant is way too dry to water. It's way too dry to water. It's, it's starting to wilt. Don't water it. it, it no, it's the exact opposite. It's patently absurd. 
But we, we let ourselves think this all the time. The dying of the plant, the drying of the plant is why it needs to be water, why it needs to be there, why it needs to be where God's people are, where God's word is, where God's praise is. As I find this testimony over and over and over, I, I believe myself wholeheartedly to be an introvert down to, to the core. I recharge alone. Give me an alone time. Give me a book. Give me something alone. But I continue to be challenged over and over and over through the years. The nights I'm most ex- exhausted, the nights I'm least exa- excited to have a life group into my house again and upset my routine and take up more of my space and my time. And I got to get another lesson ready if I'm leading. And then, and then I just leave feeling watered. I just leave going, this, this actually, it's like God knew what I needed. God grows. God, God grows through Paul planting the seed, through Apollos watering, and God gives the growth. It's a great joy that we have to grow in discipleship. You don't need to be an expert waterer for God to give growth. You don't need to be under an expert waterer for God to give growth. I think sometimes we exalt celebrity pastors and we fall into celebrity pastorism, if that's a term, without even realizing it. So like if if we think like John Piper and John MacArthur and John Calvin and whoever your your top three are, you you think they could teach you more because they hold a kind of a special anointing and God's given them some ministry that no one else could possibly have. No one else can match that. That they can't compare to even a simpleton in your church who faithfully is teaching and preaching the word. We might be actually doing what 1 Corinthians 3 is saying. We're misunderstanding who makes us grow. We're misunderstanding what makes us grow. It's not Paul who planted the seed. It's not, it's not Apollos who, who watered and came and brought in further discipleship. It's God who gives the growth. Now, I think we might all say, well, I don't do that. Well, that's, not, that's not my problem. I don't, I don't have a John Piper poster in my, in my office. I don't, I don't have a John Calvin t-shirt. It's not, it's not my thing. But when we look down on regular means of discipleship that are available to us because they don't feel like an elite opportunity for discipleship. How are we not doing the same thing? We may just be forgetting that God is the one who gives the growth. Not me or Nancy or my brother Jeremy or Ryan or Brian or Jim or Steve or anyone in this room. It's not us who gives the growth. It's none of the teachers who give the growth. It's God who gives the growth. Of course, there are some who are more mature in the church than others. That's good and right and helpful and part of God's design. Those who can better handle Scripture than others, there are principles in place. So, For example, Paul tells Timothy, don't, don't put a recent convert in as the pastor. So there's, there's principles that, that watch maturity and use maturity differently. But to grow as a disciple of Jesus, we simply humbly walk with someone else who believes in Christ and submits themselves to God's word. Because it's not them that brings the growth, it's God. It's God. I wonder if you're here today, maybe you're, you're actually afraid to start discipling someone else. You, you maybe felt led to, to lead a life group. Maybe you felt led to disciple someone one-on-one or, or two-on-three or something like that. And you, you feel afraid to do that. Your, your stance is, who, who am I to do that? Who, who am I to disciple someone else? I'm nothing. Paul says, that's my point about you. What are Apollos and what are Paul? They are nothing. Only God who gives the growth. If you are aware of your own inability to bring about growth to others, you're part of the way there to being in a good spot to lead others to follow Jesus Christ. Disciple someone else. 
Maybe you would just initiate. Maybe, maybe you would need the courage knowing that God is the one who gives the growth and that would give you the courage to go to someone else that you've been thinking about or praying about or, or you know has a need or you know you need to even just speak the truth and love to them in some way about something and you can have the confidence knowing it's not you. It's God who's going to give the growth. It's God's word that's going, it's God's spirit that convicts and brings about growth. Maybe you are a discouraged life group leader. Maybe you're a discouraged discipler of someone. You've been discipling someone for some time, and it's just, it gets hard. It gets defeating. It, it, it feels sometimes like you're looking and like, I'm just not seeing it grow. Like we, we measured last week, and you are still four foot four inches. There literally is no growth. What do you do? Believe. Believe in the Lord. Believe that God is the one who gives the growth. Just, oh, what can you do but, but plant the gospel, water the seed of the gospel? And it's God who gives the growth. God giving the growth is our encouragement to do life group again this week. God giving the growth is our encouragement to come to building blocks and, and submit to teaching. God, it, it's God giving the growth that sends us out to even evangelize to the lost. So those two things to begin, pray for God to bring growth, walk in God's means of growth, trusting he gives the growth, and third, thank God for growth in your church. I just encourage you to thank God, have a thankful heart to God for giving growth in your church. Purposefully stop, make it a point this week to give God praise for spiritual growth in our church. You get your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 1, verse 8. And we're just going to look at a few examples of Paul giving God praise for growth in the church, for the faithfulness of the church. There are many, many more. Maybe this would be an application for you that this week you would just go through the epistles and if you need to, just word search thanks or thank you, God, or thanks to God, or I give thanks. And just see what all Paul gives thanks to God for. And see how often it is for what God is doing in other Christians. Romans chapter 1, verse 8. We're going to look at a, a few books here really quickly, so get ready to, to flip with me. Romans chapter 1, verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Your faith is proclaimed all over the world. So who does he thank? He thanks God for giving them the faith that is now being proclaimed all over the world. The Romans are believing. You can write these down or you can turn with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4 through 5, our book, which we'll read in a moment. I give thanks to my God always for you. I thank God for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Jesus Christ, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge. You were given the, the speech, you were given the knowledge, you were enriched, matured, you could say. And so I thank God for that. God did that. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 and 16, Paul says to the church in Ephesus, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith, Ephesians 1, 15, because I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I give thanks to God for your faith and for your love for all the saints. We see it again in Colossians chapter 1, verse 3 through 4. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. You believe in Jesus? You have love for the saints? We give God thanks for that. That, that came from God. God's the one that gives the growth. Maybe a good practice for you this week would be to stop and write 50 things you're grateful for. God has done, that God has done or is doing in growing Christians in our church, or maybe in yourself, or maybe in your spouse. Maybe it's just 10. Maybe it should be 100. Things I'm thankful for where I see God bringing about maturity in our church. And just list them out. 
The New Testament has this list, if you will, from book to book to book, all the things God's, Paul is thankful for in the church that God is doing. Maybe that would be a good practice for you. Just, just thank God for maturity that is happening in the church or someone else that you know, some other Christian. Maybe you go through the membership role and you just pray one by one. Maybe you do that this afternoon. Maybe you would pick an evening this week and say, I'm just going to go through the membership role and I'm just going to think of everything I can in every one of our members and just take time thanking God for how this person has grown. I haven't noticed, I haven't thought about it for a while, but this person has actually grown a lot over the years. We were in our life group on Thursday night, uh, Friday night this week, talking at my home uh, about spiritual growth. And I was just so thankful to, th- to remember how God has grown some of our members and relay that to our life group. And just what a joy to say God did that. It's my own joy in thanking God. Maybe this week take time to share in your small group when you meet a few ways that you have seen growth in other members. Maybe you take time when you get together, maybe just one-on-one discipleship. Brother, I just want to share a few ways that I've seen you grow this week. And I want you to know I thank God that that has changed in you. I thank God for that growth. Maybe in your small group you get together and you say, guys, let's all just encourage each other. How have we seen each other grow in the time that we've been together? Even if just a few small ways, just praise God and thank God for that. In prayer, thank God for that growth. Lastly, trust God is graciously growing those that he saves in Christ. Trust that God is graciously growing those that he saves in Christ. Whatever there is in maturity, whatever there is in equipping, whatever there is in making Christians more mature, it comes from grace. It comes from God's gracious salvation to sinners to save them from sin and then lead them in spiritual growth. Look with me in your Bibles in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul starts this letter to the messed up church with thankfulness for God growing them, God's enriching of them and giving them gifts. Now, we're going to see in this passage, 1 Corinthians 1, 4 through 9, verses 4 through 9, there's two sentences in our English Bible. I have no idea how many sentences there are in Greek, but it comes to us in English in two sentences. Takes up six verses. The first five verses are one sentence, and the last verse is its own sentence. So why does this matter? We're going to see this morning that the sentence structure, the, the subjects, the verbs, the, the prepositions, everything in four through eight are kind of one thought pointing back to one thing that God has done, one way that God is doing it with an additional encouragement in verse 9. So we see Paul doing the same thing. We just read this a moment ago, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4 through 9. What we've said in, in weeks previous and over the years that the Corinthian church is, man, they, they just, they're having a hard time. You know, I've, I've just jokingly said, I don't know if someone came to us and said, this is the church. I don't know if we take them as members of our church. They, they, they don't believe in the resurrection, right? They, they're, they're questioning whether or not Jesus even rose from the dead. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4 through 9. Look what, look what Paul says to this messed up, divided, suing each other in the midst of sexual morality, idolatrous, getting drunk at the Lord's Supper church, who needs to grow up. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. That in every way you were enriched in him, in speech and knowledge. In other words, you, you grew in speech and in knowledge. Even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. So that you're not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who will, Christ will, sustain you to the end. Guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's one long sentence. But where did it all come from? You were enriched in knowledge. You you lacked no gift for the mutual building up of the body. Like in chapter 12. 
God's going to sustain you. Christ will sustain you guiltless to the end. Why? The beginning of the sentence. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. Everything God does in those who are in Christ is by His grace. We bring sin to the table. God brings Christ on the cross, crucified from our sin, resurrected from the grave. We bring immaturity to the table. God graciously brings and enriches us in knowledge of Christ and the gospel. We bring brokenness to the table, sinfulness to the table. God sustains us guiltless to the end by his grace. All the doing, all of the watering of God in a Christian's life is the fruit, the response, the outpouring of the grace of God. We don't deserve a thing the Lord has given us, but he sent Christ to die for us out of grace. Jesus rose from the the grave to, out of grace, give us new life by his spirit, and he grows us, he enriches, he equips He gives gifts by his grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. Just as we depend on God to save us from our sin, we depend on God by his grace to bring about maturity and Christ-likeness. We remember Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. God says in 1 Corinthians, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. God is the doer. God gives growth. He is faithful. Because of his grace, we give God thanks. Because he's given growth, we give God praise. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your kindness to us in the Lord Jesus Christ, that while we were yet sinners, Christ was crucified for us, and your grace continues in our lives, God, and that we we don't deserve to be saved, and, and we don't deserve help to grow, but you enrich, you teach, you give gifts, you train, you equip, you send us through affliction as sons, you, you work for our growth, you work to shape us in Christ likeness, and we give you praise. We give you thanks for that. Would you help us live accordingly? That you would help us to go back in discipleship boldly this week, trusting it's you who gives the growth? Father, would you help us make new decisions in our lives, make new routes, repent from old ways, and, and begin to, to walk in your way? Would you, would you help us by your spirit and by the word preached and sung and and prayed today to walk in the way of grace, to walk in your watering us to grow in maturity. Thank you for your grace. We pray all these things for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.